2: Hello and welcome to a week 14 edition of the quote-unquote expert, quote-unquote roundtable. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm the father of the most beautiful beast in the world, Jerry. And as always, I am joined by a man connected to his ethernet by him. A man who came to the show by canoe. A man who shaved his beard and shaved his and cut his hair. But it's still everybody's favorite hippie. It's JM to win. JM, what's going on?
1: Uh, you know, I ran into people in, um, in Nashville who didn't recognize me. I'm Like, I haven't had the beard and the hair for a year, but apparently people don't watch us, they just listen. Um, doing well, man. I was actually, I was on my canoe earlier, you know, just on the river, whatever, like I do, and I came across this mug floating in the water, uh, famous mustache mug, so I'm good to go, man. We
2: had a good slate. I got my famous mustache mug, got some tea, so let's have a fun time. Do you have that like special hippie tea in there? What's it called that all the hippies are drinking now? That, that special tea or coffee, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, is, is
1: that kombucha? Is that what you're talking yep. about? I don't know. Yep. Uh, I'm yep. drinking yerba mate. That's like the old hippie drink. So I see. Uh, I'm, I'm behind the hippie times, I guess, but uh, yeah. it'll keep me awake.
2: <laughs> all right. I love it. Um, this week's slate um, on DK, as always, we're going to be talking about DraftKings scoring, DraftKings salaries, which certainly makes a huge difference. I hope that you guys are aware of that by now. Uh, This week's slate on DraftKings certainly revolves around two players who are expected to see ownership in the 40 to 50 percent range or higher, Gio Bernard and Josh Gordon. I think um, how you want to play the slate partially depends on if you want to eat the chalk with those guys, and we'll talk about how viable a fade would be on either. But I mean, just having those guys on the slate, I know we talk about it a lot. Like a lot of people think that the slate is terrible when there's two really chalky guys or when there's an obvious play. Uh, I actually think that it gives us a chance to um, take some value from people who don't play those guys and then also uh, use our money more optimally instead of trying to like squeeze in guys on DK that we're really thin about a lot of times. So to me, I like these kind of slates. Uh, what do you think, Jam?
1: I love these kind of slates. There's a lot of opportunity to think... Differently from people, there's a lot of opportunity to take really high floor, high ceiling plays. I mean, you mentioned these two chalky guys who are underpriced, but you also have Larry Fitzgeralds underpriced, uh, Shepherds underpriced, Marquise Goodwin's underpriced, uh, Kaiser and Gabbard are in a great spot. Um, I mean, like I'm, I've had some salary, uh, some roster construction where I've had like two grand in salary left over, and I liked the team. You have to figure out where to where to spend up or whether or not you want to spend up. So. I love weeks like this. Uh, I think one thing we can talk about when we get to the geo situation is uh, we can talk about some of these other low priced pivots and what percentage of the time we think that they would outscore geo. Cause I do think that the, there's some other, I mean, Frank Gore, we'll get to these guys in a minute, but Frank Gore, Andre Ellington, um, even Mike Davis, you know, these guys could outscore geo 20, 30% of the time and the ownership is going to be disproportionate to that. So I think there's also good pivots in tournaments, not obviously the best on paper plays, but a lot of different directions we can go on this slate. Um, One of the lowest stress slates of the season this year.
2: All right, let's start the quarterback position. Um, In a week where we certainly have the money to pay up at quarterback, I don't see a lot of good options to pay up. Uh, So let's start at the top for this. We have Carson Wentz. uh, We have Phillip Rivers. I think they're okay plays. We have, Jared Goff, you know, like we have Alex Smith. Um, I think they would all kind of fall into the okay range. I think Phillip Rivers would be my favorite uh, out of that group. Uh, Carson Wentz has shown an extremely high floor and has be shown to be matchup proof. I think do think the Eagles will play well coming off of that loss uh, last week. Uh, does anybody in the higher range at quarterback intrigue you?
1: Yeah, you named some guys that I think can get you 20, possibly even 25 points. Um, I think the bigger question is obviously, you know, whether that's worth it. You look at somebody like Gabbert, who again, we'll get to in a minute, but uh, you know, this is the team that throws the ball at the second highest rate taking on a Tennessee team that people don't run the ball against. Uh, They can't defend slot receivers. So that Gabbert to Larry Fitzgerald connection gives you a huge floor. Kaiser with uh, Gordon Coleman and and Najoku to throw to gives you a much higher floor than I think most people will anticipate that spot having. So Yeah, I mean, uh, Wentz, I don't love the matchup. Like, it would be tough for me to pay 7,100, hoping for 20 to 25 points when I think I can get that for cheaper. Uh, Rivers, I I like the matchup quite a bit. I am a little concerned that the Chargers just destroy Washington in this spot. So um, I think that 20 points, he's been consistently getting that. He's rarely getting over that. So, again, uh, I think these guys are fine plays. Um, I think the way that I would actually use these higher-priced guys is in game stacks – So, for example, the Chiefs and Raiders, this is a game that both teams need in order to I mean, whoever doesn't win that division is missing the playoffs and they're in a three way tie for first. So both teams need this win. That's the sort of game in which you could see both teams getting more aggressive as things move along. So if that happens, you know, Derek Carr and Alex Smith could trade blows all day. That makes sense to just load up on a game like that um but in an like an individual sense i don't think that any of these quarterbacks make more sense than the the cheaper guys uh the one exception would be matthew stafford and obviously there's a question about his hand i mean have you heard my my anticipation right now is that he's going to start but we won't know if he's actually himself we won't know if he can actually push the ball outside the numbers are you hearing anything differently on that
2: yeah, no, he's going to play. Um, one of the toughest guys in the league, which is so funny because he had the injury-prone label early in his career, which was such a joke. But anyways, um, he like yeah, broke we, his he,
1: collarbone or something, and yeah, everyone's I mean, like, "This poor, guy,
2: the worst." Uh, but yeah, I mean Matthew Stafford, um, obviously an awesome matchup. Um, I don't know. He like he was able to throw in practice, but not a lot in front of reporters. Uh, it certainly seems like it's going to bother him to some degree. But that's the kind of thing we might be able to get a report on from Schefter or Rapid Porter Glazer uh, on Sunday morning. So we'll certainly have an eye on that. But, yeah, he would be an awesome tournament play because I think right now nobody's planning to play Matthew Stafford.
1: Yeah, uh, Matthew Stafford is just in an absolute smash spot if he's healthy. Uh, My concern is that he's going to be stuck throwing underneath passes to Golden Tate all day and can't really push the ball outside the numbers to Marvin Jones for the big upside. Uh, Russell Wilson is also theoretically in play as a guy – who has an enormous amount of upside as their entire offense, um, obviously he's taking on one of the best defenses we've seen in the last decade. So floor is a concern. I think that the Jags are giving up like 8.5 fantasy points per game to quarterbacks, uh, which is just obscenely low. Um, So, yeah, I mean, any thoughts on Russ or uh, anybody else in this price range that, that you're kind of leaning toward?
2: Yeah I would disagree with the way you described Russ. I would say he has a high floor thanks to his volume and rushing ability but the ceiling in this matchup is capped because like you're not ripping off big plays against the Jaguars. Like it's highly unlikely you get into a shootout uh, with this defense and Blake Bortles. So I would say uh, the floor is fine for Russ. from a ceiling perspective. I would be uh, more concerned on him and yeah out of the other guys I think Alex Smith who uh, I never really like but such a good matchup against Oakland uh, playing at home. Do you think the Chiefs in a desperation spot will play well uh, here? So he would probably be my favorite out of that group. But yeah, for, for in terms of just raw points, I think Rivers, uh, as you mentioned, would be my favorite. Um, let's move down into the 5K range. Uh, I think my first instinct this week was I like Dak Prescott a lot. The more that I've thought about it, I've moved off him a little bit out of concern for on the road in the division. Uh, out of concern for, uh, I think, a lot of sharp money coming in on the Giants from what I've seen so far, and out of concern for just pace of play. We've seen them play extremely slow lately, uh, and concern just because like, his wideouts are just um, not making big plays for him. So I think I'm probably going to move off Dak. There's certainly a lot of options below him, such as Blaine Gabbard, who you mentioned, such as Deshaun Kaiser, who you mentioned, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Tom Savage um so what do you think about Dak and the rest of this 5k range
1: it's kind of funny right we've we've wait, like what is Des Bryant 29 years old or something we're still waiting for him to become an elite receiver it was like three years in his career before he had a hundred yard game he has very little after catch ability I mean he catches the ball and gets tackled um he's not fast he doesn't run great routes um he can make great contested catches he's a physical freak. So I mean I I think that the like the thought with Dak is okay with the weapon with with Des to throw to that can support him. Um, I think the Cowboys are kind of seeing that that's not fully the case, and they're you know we saw him throw only 22 times last week. I'm a little concerned that and same thing with you. Yeah, at first glance it was like okay, do I want Dak? Do I want Kaiser? Do I want Gabbert? Um, but yeah, I kind of think that we could see both teams just really slow down the pace. The Giants have done the same thing since. Odell Beckham went down. This is a spot where we could see each team run 55 plays, keep the ball on the ground. I have slight concerns for Sterling Shepard because of that as well. Obviously he's a tremendous play, but, um, but yeah, I do think that the pace is going to be a potential issue in this game. Uh, my focus is on Garoppolo who I'm concerned about the lack of weapons, but we can get to that when we get to wide receivers. Um, and then Kaiser and Gabbert, um, gabbert didn't stand out to me at first, but as I started digging in, it just makes a lot of sense against Tennessee. I mean, he has a high floor from his rushing. He has a high floor um, from the fact that this team passes a ton. He has a high floor from the fact that Tennessee forces teams to pass a ton. He's completed seventy-eight percent of his passes to Larry Fitzgerald and like thirty-six percent to other wide receivers. So, uh, as long as he keeps that you know between the numbers connection going with Fitz, I think he's a great play, and I think the Kaiser's. A great play do you have a uh, preference between the two or um, do you think that one has a higher floor than the other
2: yeah I prefer Kaiser uh, 5.5 DK points per game rushing alone for Deshaun Kaiser I mean think about that when you get a guy who's 4,900 at home in a good matchup in a game I expect the Browns to win has awesome weapons now like think about who I mean these weapons, not just that
1: was like a that was like a say and move on. You said I expect the Browns to win like an O and twelve team, and you're just oh, yeah. moving on from that. Let's call that a bold call. I mean, I'm with you on it, but that's uh, no, that's, that's not even bold.
2: Like Seahawks winning last week by the line was more bold. <laughs> At one point, that line was like six. That's now, fair. This but line, still, is I like, mean, this is great. like
1: I, I mean, the Packers are in playoff contention if they win this week and get Aaron Rodgers back.
2: You know what and it is, got, man. Like the Browns I, can't win. You know what it is? Brett Hundley is just, like, so dead to me after last week. I hate myself so much. We came on here last week and talked about, both of us agreed, Jameis Winston was the lock, and somehow I, I just ended up with Brett Hundley. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to regret and hate uh, Brett Hundley for that. So, yes. Uh, you may
1: never see him on the field after this
2: week, too. Oh, my God. Such a disaster. But, yeah, uh, I think Browns will play well and win. I don't think that's really a hot take at all. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, Kaiser's rushing it, But think about the weapons he has. Duke Johnson, uh, David Njoku. And then you add in, like, Coleman and Josh Gordon, arguably, like, one of the more talented wide-out duos in the league. So, I mean, it's really hard to see Deshaun Kaiser uh, failing here. Um, he's played better lately. He had really tough matchups lately. I think his last three were, like, Jacksonville, Cincinnati, and uh, somebody else that's really stout. So, Yeah, I
1: mean, I, I brought that up last week with um, his games with Coleman and without Gordon had been Jacksonville, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get tougher than that. I mean, yeah, I think that Kaiser is a better quarterback than, I don't know that he's good, but I think he's a better quarterback than he has looked. I mean, he's been throwing to scrubs in good matchups and he's had tough matchups when he's had guys to throw to. So we could see, you know, easily 25 points from him in this spot. Um, I guess there are some slight uh, game flow concerns just because we don't expect the, The Packers to be able to bring it back but um, I think that the it's encouraging to me how aggressive Hugh Jackson was just dialing up plays to Josh Gordon how aggressive Kaiser was just throwing bombs to him with uh, Casey Hayward covering him I think it was seven passes 20 yards downfield something insane like that Um, and so yeah I mean I I think that no matter what Gordon's going to get his looks no matter what Kaiser's going to have his opportunities so um, I'm with you on that one
2: Uh, One guy we didn't mention is Case Keenum. Um, I think that there's like time for Minnesota to regress a little bit, at least offensively, but you can't argue with the way Case Keenum has played lately and the Panthers have been getting absolutely destroyed uh, by wideouts lately. Do you have any interest in Case Keenum uh, as kind of a tournament play at
1: 6,100? My approach this week is kind of to uh, not overthink things and not take any of these low floor high ceiling plays because there's so many high floor, high ceiling plays. I think that uh, if you get heavier in a tournament play or large field tournament play, stuff like that makes sense. I'm actually shifting my focus this week to go pretty cash heavy and then just uh, small field, high dollar tournaments. So I won't have interest there. Uh, I do agree that the Panthers are, I, I don't think they're below average against the past, but they're average against the past. I mean, their reputation is more built on the fact that they're they're the Cowboys from two years ago, they're running out the clock and not allowing teams to run a lot of plays. So I can definitely see I, I like Thielen this week, so I can definitely see Keenum doing well, but um it's not a play that I will be on myself.
2: Um all right, anything else at quarterback?
1: Not anything that I'm interested in.
2: All right. Let's move to running back. And obviously the position revolves around Gio Bernard. Uh his backups this week will be Brian Hill and maybe uh the kid Tredavious White I believe his name is from the practice squad not sure if they called him up yet or if they are going to call him up either way they clearly didn't trust Brian Hill last week gave him zero snaps even though Joe Mixon left in the second quarter uh Gio Bernard uh look I mean the Bengals got low on Gio Bernard like Joe Mixon was not performing whatsoever and Gio Bernard's snap count was decreasing even as Jeremy Hill went on IR so like Bengals don't love him but they don't really have a choice here and we know where he excels Similar to Theo Riddick last week, we know where he excels when he's on the field, he's going to get a lot of dump-offs. So on DraftKings scoring, it's really hard to see Gio Bernard failing at 3,100, which is just, uh, we haven't seen prices like this on DraftKings for guys that are in play. So I think a fair touch projection for Gio Bernard is in the 15 to 20 range, and he's 3,100. You mentioned not overthinking it. Uh, Should the people out there even be thinking about uh, trying to fade Gio?
1: In in cash games, obviously, I think the answer is no. And I think that the 10%, 12% of the field that doesn't use him is automatically putting themselves behind everyone else. If they luck into Geo having a bad game or getting injured and they're in the top 10% of the cash game field because of that, I mean, fine, but that's like at 3,100, it just makes no sense to not take him. You made a good point with the touches. This isn't Bilal Powell where – we all just freaked out and we're like, okay, Bilal Powell, all the touches and Elijah McGuire was sitting there. And, um, you know, a couple of people texted me on Saturday that week and we're saying, basically, uh, isn't McGuire going to get like, you know, isn't he maybe one out of every three times he would outscore Powell in the this, in this spot. Like we don't have a situation like that with Geo. It's Gio's going to touch the ball. So, and like you said, he gets catches. I think that the Bengals are going to go pass heavy here just because Geo can't run between the tackles, you know, 20 times, or they don't want to do that. So pass heavy helps him, run heavy helps him. Um, it's not like the Bears are a team that is just going to control this game. So, like you said, it's really hard to see him failing, and it's really hard to see him falling shy of 12 points in a bad game. Um, with that said, this is not a normal DraftKings week. This is not a week where uh, the pricing is super tight and you got to take this $3,100 guy. So in tournaments, I think there's a lot of cases to be made. Um, you know, uh, on my Monday night pod, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Grant Neifer was talking about how he won. He cashed in all tournaments, won in double ups without Julio Jones, uh, the week that Julio put up 50. How does that happen? Well, if you get 20 points from every guy on your team, you're going to be in the top two or 3% in tourney. So I think that, that it's totally viable that Geo gets 12, 15 points, and you could just go mid-range across the board and get 20 points from everybody, I think it's totally viable that you could go Frank Gore, uh, Andre Ellington, or Mike Davis and outscore Geo. That's not the likeliest scenario, but I think uh, any of those could happen, and they'll all be way under-owned. Do you have thoughts on Davis, Ellington, and Gore before I throw in my thoughts on them?
2: Yeah, with Will Fuller uh, being active and they need a body behind uh, Lamar Miller, I-, I understand that Andre Ellington's going to run some slot uh, snaps, but I mean, I don't think that's a place that I would definitely uh, consider. I think Mike Davis would be uh, a more likely play that I would make just because if you're going to beat Jacksonville, uh, you theoretically do it with the run. That said, I do expect this Jacksonville defense to overwhelm Seattle's offensive line, um, which would be a concern for me on Mike Davis. So. Uh, The one guy you didn't mention in that sub 4k range is Kerwin Williams with uh, Adrian Peterson out again. Um, Kerwin didn't see a target last week, which is a major concern, but I don't think he's bad in the past game. It's just, that's the way it went. DJ Foster ended up getting uh, five targets, but I think Kerwin at 39 and Mike Davis at 37, you know me, I don't play Frank Gore, so he's out uh, for me. And, uh, and yeah, Andre Ellington would, would scare me. I mean, how many Texans can we, can we be high on like, I want to play Will Fuller. I want to play Steven Anderson. I want to play DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I think Lamar Miller is okay. Like how how many Texans can we like in one game?
1: Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Um, I've messed around with some rosters that have Geo and Ellington together. And you can imagine what that allows you to fit when you also have Josh Gordon and one of the cheap quarterbacks. Um, so I think that's viable. Ellington's definitely the thinnest play on that roster. Um, I do think he's going to get some some slot work and we've seen that the texans don't really love giving lamar miller more than 20 touches um they've done it a couple times but san francisco is facing the most or second most running back rush attempts in the nfl it's because they run such a fast-paced offense they're also typically behind which may not be the case this week but um but yeah i do think that ellington will get six or seven touches out of the backfield and probably four or five catches out of the slot i think he's totally viable Frank Gore has averaged 18 carries a game the last five weeks or 18 touches per game. Everyone will be, not everyone, but people will be looking to pay up for LaShawn McCoy in the same game. He's averaging 16 touches per game. Obviously McCoy is a better player, but 18 touches against one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. Gore gets two or three catches every game. It makes a lot of sense at 3,900. I think you get 10 points in a worst case scenario. I think he can easily get 15 to 17. Um, And then Mike Davis, I don't love. I think that, He's unlikely to play well. Uh, I think the same thing about Kerwin Williams, but I think they're both in play. But point being, I mean, there's just a ton that we can go to in this cheap range, and I don't think that's the only way to pivot off Geo. I think that the other ways are just to go, you know, mid-priced across the board, with a lot of good mid-priced plays this week. I do think that Geo puts up 12 points in a bad game. I expect him to get over 20, so I love Geo this week. But if we're just talking game theory and, and what to do in tournaments definitely makes sense to move off of him on some teams and, and try some different things.
2: Um, I think we should talk about Lamar Miller because he's a guy that I'm always like really hesitant to click on. And Jordan Howard shockingly to me ended up at like 28% owned in the million maker last week because he was home against San Francisco. I assume with Alfred blew out with Dante Foreman out with Lamar Miller at 5,800 Lamar Miller is going to be a very popular, um, do you think that is good chalk or bad chalk? Because to me, pretty much any time Lamar Miller is chalk, I think it's bad. But this is a pretty nice spot for him, given the backup situation, given the matchup. How chalky? Uh, I think I have like 30%, 25%. What? Let me check. Um, yeah,
1: I, I built a team on like Monday or Tuesday with Lamar Miller. And I, I had that feeling that everybody has. Like, oh, God, Lamar Miller, really? Um So I don't know. I mean, I think people like Jamal Williams in this range, people like Marshawn Lynch, people like P. Ryan. I'm hoping that kind of spreads out ownership a little bit. People want to get up to Gurley. Um, But yeah, if Lamar Miller is 30%, I'm
2: no, sorry. I have, I have 16% right now. I forgot Todd Gurley is going to soak up like 30%.
1: Okay. Um, Yeah. At that, at that range, 15 to 20, I'd be fine with it. Um, That's not enough to move me off of him. I think that we basically, like I said, I think Gore gets 10 points in a bad game and 15 to 17 in a good game. I think Lamar Miller gets like 12 in a bad game and 22 to 25 in a good game. So, I mean, if you can find the salary to get up to him, I think he's a really strong play. I think he will see the work. He can catch passes even if, uh, like this isn't Jordan Howard. You know, he can catch passes even if they fall behind, even if this turns into a shootout. Um, Andre Ellington's not going to be used between the tackles much. So I think that Miller's pretty safe I think we do see him get over 20 touches this week, which is a rarity for him. Um, I like him more than P. Ryan, who stood out to me more at first, just because we saw P. Ryan lose involvement when the Redskins fell behind. Um, This is obviously a spot where that could happen again. He's a good tournament play just because if Washington keeps it close, he'll get 20 plus touches in a phenomenal matchup. Um, I like Miller more than Marshawn Lynch. I like Lynch, but I'm not you know, sold that his work is going to be there. I think it will be because Oakland needs this game, but there's risk there. And then uh, Jamal Williams, I'm still a little concerned that maybe Aaron Jones gets more involved. He's looked good this year as well. So I like all those guys, but I like Miller the most of the bunch at the moment.
2: You didn't mention one guy in that 5K range, Alfred Morris, who's coming off of a 27 carry game, uh, gets to face the Giants. We already talked about how Dallas appears to want to go extremely run heavy, even in the absence of Zeke. And Alf Morris has played, uh awesome not the best in the past game but do you have any thoughts on alpha at 5500
1: yeah i think he's a strong play you know me I'm, I'm typically gonna miss out on the 20 point game from the guy who doesn't catch passes so i probably won't be there i do think he's a strong play i think he gets over 20 carries again it's obviously a good spot for him as well
2: when you mention uh your boy you've rostered uh duke johnson more than anybody in dfs this year <laughs> are you going to are you going to duke johnson again no
1: and um so the mistake I made last week, because I rostered him last week, which was his worst game of the season um, for a guy averaging almost 14 DraftKings points a game and priced under 5k, but uh, and, and the best matchup he had on the year. But I think that what we're going to see is just that Kaiser wants to throw the ball downfield. Hugh Jackson wants to get plays to Josh Gordon. Uh, I think that we'll see Duke Johnson become less heavily used. I could be completely wrong. I mean, if he's involved the way he's been before, I mean, people don't realize how good this guy is on the field and people don't realize how good his scores have been in DFS this year. He's consistently putting up a floor of 10 points, a ceiling north of 20. Um, he was getting nine points a game just from pass game involvement coming into last week. So uh, anything he adds beyond that, anything he adds on the ground, all of that's just bonus above nine points. Uh, I'm not certain that his workload is going to remain what it was. If it does, he's an awesome play. Um, I'll probably miss out if he posts like a 25-point game this week.
2: Uh, Amir Abdullah is questionable. If he ends up scratched late again, do you, Theo Riddick is now 4500 Uh, Do you have any interest in Theo at that price?
1: Yeah, but I think he's a worse play than all those sub-4K guys you mentioned. I mean, we saw Green get 11 carries last week. They don't love giving Riddick the, uh, the between-the-tackles work, and they really don't love giving him goal-line work that – goal line or or, you know inside the five rushing touchdown last week was unusual for Riddick Um, I think he's in play but I like Gore more I like Geo more um, and I probably like Andre Ellington more
2: all right let's move up to the top tier we have LaShawn McCoy we have Melvin Gordon we have Todd Gurley all in play Uh, Tyrod Taylor I think is a big question mark I probably don't want to play LaShawn McCoy at all if Nathan Peterman starts this game Um, would you agree there
1: I agree, and then if you said you probably don't want to play McCoy if Tyrod starts, I'd probably agree with that as well.
2: Oh, you don't want to play McCoy at all?
1: I mean, I think he's in a great spot. I just – like he's averaging 16 touches per game. Um, Traveris Cadet is getting, you know, four or five targets per game. LaShawn McCoy I broke it down in my game-by-game game breakdown this, year, this week, but McCoy in their wins, where, when they started five and two, he was getting five to nine targets every game. And since then it's been one to four targets and they've lost what all but one game since then. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but I'm just not sold on the workload. If I'm paying 7,200 for running back, like it will absolutely not surprise me if the McCoy has a good game, he's in a good spot. If the workload's there, he'll probably smash. Um, he could even post a 20 point game without the workload, but I don't want to pay 7,200 for 16 touches Um That's consistently been the case lately. So I'm kind of off of him this week.
2: Yeah. I mean, the issue for me is he's 1,400 more than um, Lamar Miller, and he's only 900 less than Todd Gurley, who has this ridiculous role. I mean, Todd Gurley's role is just like Le'Veon Bell slash David Johnson-esque. He's getting targeted like in the six to eight time range per week. Um, He is the unquestioned goal line back. He's playing like 80% of the snaps. I know the matchup against the Eagles isn't great, but Sean McVay has shown an ability to get Ty Gurley into space uh, no matter what. Uh, I think Ty Gurley is pretty clearly the best play in this top range. Do you agree?
1: I agree. I think that there's people shouldn't consider him a lock for a big game. I mean, uh, like you should feel great if you get those 22 to 25 points because Philly is, I think they've only allowed three running backs to go over 40 yards against them. Um, They're allowing like 300 fewer rushing yards than the next closest team. They're uh, allowing like under 50 rushing yards per game to running backs. So this is not a good spot on the ground for Gurley. But I I think, you know, if if the Rams shift and go through the air, there's not a good spot for the Rams wide receivers either. So I think we can lock in Gurley for seven or eight catches pretty easily. And then, you know, the
2: 40 yards he gets on the ground. Seven Seven or eight targets. Seven,
1: I think seven or eight catches, honestly. Oh,
2: daddy. Oh, daddy.
1: Um, and also worth noting that Philly is tremendous stopping running backs after they catch the ball. So, you know, upside is a concern, but, like, it's going to be tough for them to get the ball to Cooper Cup with Patrick Robinson blanketing him. It's going to get be tough for them to get the ball to Sammy Watkins. Uh, and Josh Reynolds showed last week that he's not somebody we can trust. So, I mean, I think that Gurley is the guy they're going to have to lean on through the air. I think we get seven or eight catches. So with that, um, I think he's a great play for floor. I don't think he's going to smash. I don't think he's going to get 25 to 30 points just because the matchup is, is really bad, but, um, I think you could lock him in and and just lock in points for sure.
2: Uh, okay. Then let's get your take on Melvin Gordon. You don't love Gurley. You're off LaShawn McCoy. Uh, I have concerns about Melvin Gordon, obviously from an efficiency standpoint and Austin Eckler continuing to, uh, siphon a decent amount of work there. Um, How do you feel about Melvin Gordon up at 7,800, just 300 less than Gurley?
1: I mean, if he were priced at, I think it's the psychology of pricing, right? If he were priced at like 6,200, we would all be like, oh man, he's so cheap for Melvin Gordon, but is he really even a good play? Um, I kind of think that just because he's priced up there with McCoy and Gurley, people think about playing him. Um, If he were priced at 6K, ownership would probably be a little bit lower than it is that whatever his price is 7,800 because then that would cause people to think about how poorly he's performed for, you know, a large chunk of this year and whether or not they actually want to go there. Um, won't surprise me if Gordon posts a good game, but I don't think it's, it's worth it for 7,800 given his chances of, of getting 10 or 11 points.
2: One guy we didn't mention is Kareem Hunt. Do expect Chark West back from his personal issue for this game. Uh, even with Charkhandrick out last week, we saw Kareem Hunt post uh, massive usage. Like he was on the field for 87 season high uh, percent of the snaps, uh, still did not get it done in the box score. Another great matchup for him home against Oakland. As I mentioned expect Chuck Hendrick back um any hope for Kareem Hunt at 6500.
1: Yeah, this is kind of like the Case Keenum thing and that I don't I don't see the need to take on this floor. I do think that the ceiling is there. Uh, I like Hunt. This is one of my two or three favorite games to game stack if you're going that route in tournaments. So, it makes a lot of sense to get Hunt on a game stack in case this game shoots out, um in case the Chiefs finally get some plays close to the goal line and get Hunt some touchdowns. Um there are 27 running backs who have more carries inside the 10-yard line than Kareem Hunt has this year. So, you know, scoring opportunities have just been thin for him. That's the big issue, but he could certainly smash in his spot. It's just not the likeliest scenario.
2: Anything else at the running back position?
1: Uh, I'm sure there's plenty others, you know, places to look, but given the way I'm approaching this week, I mean, I'm I'm locked into a much narrower core and just trying to take these best plays that we've talked about.
2: Let's move to the wide receiver position where Josh Gordon, I believe will be 40 to 50% mm-hmm. on, which is very, very high for wide receiver. You know, obviously wide receiver has a much more, Volatile and wide range of outcomes than most other or all other uh, positions. We just saw last week this Green Bay defense uh, somehow shut down Mike Evans. Still not exactly sure how. Um, This Packers defense will not have Kevin King, will not have Devon House. I mean, they have Damaris Randall, but they are very thin beyond that uh, at the cornerback position. We know uh, Josh Gordon is an exceptional talent. We know he was used. In a way I didn't even expect him to be used last week. I mean, he ran a route on eighty-nine percent of Deshaun Kaiser's uh, dropbacks, just absurd usage saw eleven targets against Casey Hayward. Um, merits to fading Josh Gordon in tournaments. Wouldn't
1: it be great if he'd seen like six targets last week and then everyone was just concerned that maybe he wasn't worth uh rostering? Uh, then we wouldn't have to have this conversation and we could just lock him in at twenty percent ownership. Um I don't. I mean, there's always merits to fading a wide receiver uh, at this level of ownership, as you alluded to. It's a high variance position compared to running back. We've talked this year about how we're likelier to pivot off of chalk at wide receiver than at running back. With that said, uh, Gordon's not a guy that I want to hop off board on. I mean, 5,500, th- this guy is going to be 7K in a week or two um and he's in a great matchup as you said devon house is out devon house covered mike evans for much of last week for whatever that's worth i I mean people have asked me today about the weather i guess there's going to be wind but you and i don't tend to worry about weather until saturday so maybe that could have an impact but um i think that's likely to have an impact on on ownership than on my decision to roster gordon i i want gordon this week i mean you feel that like Gordon's a lock in cash games too, right?
2: Well, of course. Yeah. Uh, what about though, if you want to play Kaiser, you expose yourself to some systemic risk in this Browns offense, which we've seen uh, have the possibility to at least sputter. Uh, I don't think they will this week, but by playing Kaiser and Gordon together, at least in cash, you do expose yourself to uh, some downside, no?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think mean, it's the Cleveland Browns. It's like, it's crazy. Um but it's also Josh Gordon. I, I just think, I don't know, man, the way they used him last week, I guess the, the case for fading him would be maybe they shift things up. Maybe the Packers scheme everything to slow down Gordon, but I, I just don't think that they can do that. I don't think the Packers can do that. The Browns have too many weapons away from Gordon. Um, so I think that, and, and again, Gordon was being covered by Casey Hayward, who's probably a top three corner and still got 11 targets. It, There's not, this is like, Mike Evans against Patrick Peterson when he got 18 targets. And it's like, you knew the ball was going there, no matter what. Um, I just think we're going to see the targets for Gordon. I'm really not letting ownership dictate things for me here. And I'll just do something different in other
2: spots. I think below 5k is a little bit thinner than usual on DraftKings. Uh, I don't see a ton to love. I think one of the strongest plays below 5k is Deshaun Jackson. We expect Darius Slay. To shadow Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson is a um, uh, season-low 4,400 on DraftKings. We know the Lions are fourth in DVOA against number one receivers, but 16th against number two wide receivers. Makes sense considering how well Darius Slay has played, how badly uh, Nevin Lawson and those guys have struggled all opposite him. So I think Deshaun Jackson is really strong. At 4,400, I think D.D. Westbrook is in play. Corey Coleman, I think is a really interesting pivot off of Josh Gordon. Same awesome matchup, uh, very strong talent, not as talented as Josh Gordon, but certainly a really strong talent. Um, I thought about Kenny Galladay, uh, until we had this Matthew Stafford thing. And then a lot of people have asked me about Trent Taylor, who only played like 40 or 30% of the snaps last week, but certainly seems to have some kind of rapport going with Jimmy Garoppolo already. Um, any of those guys pique your interest in anybody else below 5k at the wideout position
1: uh i love coleman i think that coleman's an awesome tournament pivot uh i said this week that i think coleman would probably be just talent wise a number one receiver on about half the teams in the nfl i mean this guy's really good we haven't seen it much he's been injured he's had bad quarterbacks but uh, this is an an odell beckham-esque talent as far as what he can do on the field not saying that He's as good as Beckham, but, um, you know, this is a game-breaking guy. And if targets swing his way, or even if Gordon gets 11 and Coleman gets 7 or 8, Coleman could post a monster game. I don't want to go there in cash, obviously, but I think that he's a great play in tournaments. I think playing Kaiser, Gordon, and Coleman together is a strong move in tournaments. Obviously, you expose yourself to risk, but you get a ton of upside. Uh, I like that you brought up Westbrook. The Seahawks are not really that great against wide receivers this year. Bottom 10 in catches, bottom 10 in yards allowed. They're not bad, but they're not great. Uh, and that was with Richard Sherman out there for much of the year. So I think D.D. is an interesting play. Uh, I hadn't thought much about Deshaun Jackson. Everything you said makes a lot of sense. Um, he's not a guy that I've leaned on heavily just because his touchdown expectations are low. But again, 4,400 tons of upside um with his big play potential I think that there's a lot of guys you can go to I mean we didn't mention Demarius Thomas who's right on that that edge but one week after he was 60% owned like yeah Simeon looked awful but Simeon you know Simeon has looked awful before and people still wanted Demarius Thomas last week uh, I think Demarius Thomas makes a lot of sense in tournaments um who else did I I miss you mentioned a couple I years. think
2: Well, I think people want to draw the comparison to like little white dude Trent Taylor to little white dude Julian Edelman and be like, oh, you see, Jimmy Garoppolo came from New England and he's going to turn Trent Taylor into Edelman. Uh, I don't really see that, but uh, what do you think? I think Taylor
1: is a guy that I would have a lot of interest in if this were a normal DraftKings week because I think you could pretty safely lock in. I mean, I do think that Garoppolo has shown a tendency to look toward those. Underneath routes. We brought that up last week with him focusing on Martellus Bennett and James White and Edelman in New England. Um, We've seen it with Taylor and tight ends got seven targets last week. Um, So I think that those kind of five to 10 yard downfield, it's this thing of that I don't think that's where he's looking first, but he knows where that guy is and he knows that that's his outlet if the guys downfield are covered. So on a normal week, I'd feel safe with Taylor getting 8 to 10 points. I don't think his upside is particularly high. So on this week with a lot of high upside guys we can fit in, I won't be there. But I think that he's a perfectly fine play, um, you know, in a bigger sense, just not really for this week for me.
2: Yeah, and he could be part of a game stack. Maybe everybody wants to play Houston, guys. you got to think about somewhere. Uh, To bring it back on San Francisco, you mentioned Marquise Goodwin earlier. Uh, To me, the problem with him is he is right next to Sterling Shepard, and maybe that makes Goodwin even a better uh, tournament play. But I think Sterling Shepard's floor is just so much higher than Marquise Goodwin. When Sterling Shepard has been healthy and playing with Eli Manning, he's seen nine and 13 targets. Like They don't have a choice but to throw to Evan Ingram. And uh, Sterling Shepard, Orlando Skandrick, not expected to play for the Cowboys, who've been getting beat up by slot receivers anyways. Um, I don't think it's close between Goodwin and Shepard, but I know a lot of people do like Goodwin out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you as far as expectations. There are concerns for Shepard as far as the way this game will probably play out as far as being slowed down. Um, The hamstring injury that we really don't have much news on at the moment. For all we know, he could be out there, but not 100%. um, and we find out after the game that, that that was the case. So I don't think that it's crazy to pivot to Goodwin. Goodwin's a guy who with Bethard under center was consistently getting 10 to 15 DraftKings points um, last week, caught eight of eight targets from Garoppolo, put up, what was it, 17.9 points without having one of his, you know, big downfield plays. They used him at all levels of the field last week, uh, we know that the Texans can get absolutely torched for long plays, explosive plays. So I think that it's closer than you think, but um, I I mean, I think we can lock in Goodwin for eight targets. I think we can lock in Shepard for 10 and Shepard's a a better player, but less explosive. I think that, I don't think it's crazy to say that Goodwin has a better quarterback. Um, So, I I mean, I think it's, I I like Shepard more, but I think it's closer than you think um that's my opinion on it
2: um this Oakland situation is interesting uh not expecting Amari Cooper to play although they listed him questionable but I mean Marcus Peters suspended not that he's been playing well anyways but this Kansas City secondary is just so 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 bad maybe the pass rush can rise up in a huge game for them at Arrowhead in the division against their rival but from what we've seen so far like man this Kansas City defense is absolutely atrocious Michael Crabtree uh, is expensive. He's 6,700. That is more than I would typically like to play for my, pay for Michael Crabtree. But if no Amari Cooper, we know the secondary situation. I mean, uh, I think the floor on Michael Crabtree is very high at 6,700.
1: I agree on that sentiment as far as floor. I think Silva brought up in his article that, in his matchups column on Roto World, that um, the Chiefs have gone like 11 straight games at home without allowing more than 20 points. So they have played better at home the thing with the with the Raiders, I'm, I'm less high on Crabtree than probably other people is just, and I like Crabtree. I think his floor is really high. I just think his chance of hitting his ceiling aren't super high. Um, the Raiders are just a, a really, like they want to march down the field. They're not going for explosive plays. That's not the way their offense is designed. Um, both Crabtree and Cooper are, are basically used, you know, eight to 15 yards downfield on almost all of their routes. So it, like the chances of Crabtree putting up like a 9 for 150, um, something crazy like that, I think is is pretty low just because of the way that the Raiders run this offense. I do think that you can easily lock them in for, you know, an 8 for 70 game, um, and then anything over that is bonus. But, I, I mean, upside's a little bit of a concern given what his price is.
2: We have three guys in the low 7K range that I think are all in play, and you can make a pretty good case that, Uh, Two of them are underpriced. The two that I think are underpriced are A.J. Green at 7,300, didn't get the price bump because he played on Monday night last week. And Adam Thielen, who's coming off of a kind of outlier five target game, but I already mentioned what I think about using wide receivers against the Panthers. I think it's a very sneaky, strong play. If you think the Vikings and Case Keenan will play well, I can be very certain that Adam Thielen is going to be involved. And then the third guy is a guy that I probably won't be playing, but certainly a good matchup for a big play is, uh, Ty fluke, Ty freak, uh, Tyreek Hill, uh, out of those three guys, who do you like most? Out of
1: those three, probably Thielen, then green, then Tyreek Hill. I think the upside's the same on all of them, but floor goes in that order. So that's the way I would lean. I agree with you. I think Thielen gets back up to at least eight targets this week, even though the Panthers limit volume on the other side. Um, you know, for offenses against them, like Thielen's range has been 8 to 12 targets. I don't think he gets to 12 targets this week, but he should still get to 8. He's still the priority. In the past game, the Panthers are nails against tight ends. So that, should, that you know, play volume is lowered, but a couple extra targets are filtered toward wide receivers. Um, so, yeah, I like Thielen quite a bit in tournaments. Um, A.J. Green, great spot. Chicago has struggled against number one wide receivers the last month and a half. And the targets are there for green. Um, Obviously the concern there is just game flow. If the Bengals take a huge lead Um, and then Tyree kill is, is what he always is six to eight targets, a couple of them downfield, a couple of them at the line of scrimmage and you hope he breaks a long play, obviously against Oakland, he can break a long play.
2: Uh, A couple notes on that Chicago Cincy game, Cincinnati expected to be, to be missing five, five starters on defense, including both their cornerbacks. Um, including their heart and soul kind of Vontaze Perfect. And then on the other side, the Bears, who lost um, a ton of guys to injury, down Leonard Floyd, down Adrian Amos, down uh, Danny Trevathan, down Eddie Goldman. Uh, Both these defenses are not uh, what maybe we think of them. So maybe it could be more shootout potential uh, than maybe on the surface in this game. How would you feel about playing A.J. Green and Geo in the same lineup uh, in a tournament.
1: I'd be fine with it, but not because of shootout um, upside. I mean, the Bears, we've talked about this, they're way more concerned with losing close than with trying to win games. When they fall behind, they still go run heavy. They still slow down the pace. Um, it's just, it's a big issue for, you know, games against the Bears. If, if they're down 14 points in the fourth quarter, they're going to punt the ball. You know, they're they're not going for it on fourth down on their side of the field, trying to win. This is like a really pathetically run team, as far as worrying more about the optics than about actually winning games. Um, so I think that the you know, and we've also seen the Bengals play well in the secondary without Adam Jones, without Drake Kirkpatrick. I think that I genuinely think that their good defensive play is more about good coaching, uh, disciplined play, good scheme than the individual players. Minus perfect who does make a big difference. Um, so I like Green, but not not from that perspective. I, I think it's just that Green and Geo are this whole offense. So they can do well even without the Bears doing well on the other side.
2: And one big question people are going to be asking themselves this week is, I have room for one very expensive wideout. Should it be Keenan Allen or should it be DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, Keenan Allen comes in as the hottest wide receiver in the history of the NFL. Three straight games, 10-plus catches, 100-plus yards, one-plus TDs, has a fine matchup. Uh, against the Redskins DeAndre Hopkins you can make a case has one of the best possible matchups uh, against San Francisco quarterback play edge obviously goes to Keenan do you have a preference between Keenan and DeAndre Hopkins
1: I like Hopkins a little bit more the bigger question for me is um, do you have a preference between Hopkins Keenan and Gurley how would you rank those three if you can fit two who would you want
2: um probably the two wide outs. I, I think they both uh, are s- like, I projected Hopkins, I think for 11 targets and Keenan for 10. And that's conservative. I always do targets can, on the conservative end, just because you never know what's going to happen with game flow, but there's certainly upside for a lot more on those. Um, but yeah, we already talked about the matchup concerns for uh, Todd Gurley, who I certainly like, but matchup concerns are not there for Keenan uh, and Hopkins.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, to be clear, like there's obviously a chance that Hopkins or Keenan just bomb and get you eight points, whereas that's less likely with Gurley. But um, I think Gurley is far less likely than these two to post you you know, 30 points or something like that. So um, I think there's a lot of roster constructions where you can fit in two, and I would love to have these two guys over Gurley. Um, but I like all three plays. I, I like Hopkins first, Keenan Allen second. Um, the concern obviously with Washington is is you know they have good pieces in their secondary. We've also though seen them get flamed by Doug Baldwin, get flamed by Adam Thielen. Thielen's probably the closest comp in the NFL to Keenan Allen in terms of how their offenses use them, uh what their skill sets are, what makes them good players. Um Thielen put up, I think it was eight for 166 and uh a touchdown against them. He put up like over 30 DraftKings points. So I like Keenan a ton. I like Hopkins a ton. I'd love to have both of them this week.
2: Uh, Two guys we didn't mention, uh, which was my fault. The first, uh, your boy, Old Man Fitz, um, yada, yada, yada. Everybody knows what the deal is. But also we skipped over Will Fuller, who is expected back from his rib injury. Will Fuller, um, yet another Texan, like – certainly has an awesome matchup would be an interesting pivot for me off of Deandre Hopkins. How viable do you think that is? I mean, Will Fuller is, I don't even see his, I don't even have his price in front of me. I think he's like 4,300 or something like he could save a ton of money. Um, The problem is Tom Savage is not the kind of quarterback necessarily that Will Fuller uh, works the best with.
1: Yeah. I think we can get 20 points without taking on the five point floor that Fuller gives you, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Fuller popped off. He's not a guy I have interest in. I think that Fitz is one of the safest and honestly highest upside plays on the slate. We've seen him get 30 plus points multiple times this year and he's going to get 10 or more targets from Gabbert. So I love him this week as well. I mean, I think he's genuinely in the conversation with with Keenan Allen and DeAndre Hopkins in terms of like, do you want a second cheap running back and two high priced wide receivers or do you want to go to like the Lamar Miller range and drop down from one of those high-priced guys to Fitz, um, I think that either way works. I think that Fitz, you know, should get you twenty points this week, so I like him quite a bit.
2: Anything else at the wide receiver position?
1: No, I was waiting for you to ask that so I could bring up Fitz, but uh, but there you
2: have it. <laughs> just roll out like the Fitz Frank Gore. Uh, <laughs> like who else can we play? That just makes me sick. Uh, I don't even know. Um, oh, you could play Jason Witten too. Jason so good, yeah. All right. That's and good, with that, that's
1: a, that's a good transition.
2: Uh, yeah. I'm a real professional at this hosting thing. Now we are going <laughs> on to tight ends with that transition. Um, I want to start the low end because, uh, I may have gotten, uh, too high on Steven Anderson, but let me, let me make my case here for Steven Anderson. No CJ Fedorowitz, Ryan, F- Ryan Griffin is also on IR inside slot man, Bruce Ellington. Is also out. Braxton Miller is also going to miss. We are looking at Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins on the outside, and then running back Andre Ellington in the slot. Uh, Steven Anderson is one of only two tight ends on the entire roster for the Texans. The other one is Michael Pruitt. Uh, He gets to face San Francisco, who I know has been okay or maybe even good against tight ends, but from a macro perspective, it's such a good spot for the Texans' offense. Uh, Steven Anderson saw 12 targets last week. Steven Anderson was a wide receiver. Uh, growing up, like he has that kind of skill set, really flashed in the broad jump and vertical jump at the combine. Um, Am I crazy for thinking that Steven Anderson is super safe at 3,200?
1: Am I crazy for thinking you are considering proposing to him? (laughs) I mean, that was like, that was intense. You brought up the broad jump. Uh, I've I've
2: been reading so much about him. It's all in my brain now.
1: Anderson had six targets the last time that uh, Ryan Griffin and Fedorovich were both out. Um, He and CJ combined for, I think it was five, seven and eight targets in their last three games together. So I think you can easily pencil them in for six targets as a floor. And again, Braxton Miller, Bruce Ellington, um, Miller is not really heavily used. Ellington kind of took Will Fuller's target. So I don't think that, there's a massive target bump. I think the 12 was a fluky outlier, but I think six to eight targets is reasonable and look six to eight targets at 3,200. I'm not going to quibble with that. I mean, that's a fantastic play. It's hard to like, the best tight end on the slate is Travis Kelsey and you're looking at eight to 10 targets for Kelsey for 7,400. So, I mean, if this were a normal week, Anderson would be a lock for me at 32. With how much value there is, how many decisions we have to make, how easy it is for me to fit Kelsey along with other guys I like, um, I may not end up there myself. But I think Anderson's a great play. I think he's going to go over drafted just because of all the hype around him. But um, but I think he's a great play. I mean, I think you're locking in six to eight targets.
2: I do expect Zach Ertz to play on Sunday, but it is notable that they did list him questionable. If he doesn't play, do you have a take between Trey Burton and Anderson? Yeah,
1: I like Anderson more. Um, Burton in a, in a tough matchup. I don't think that the targets are as reliable.
2: All right, let's keep moving up at tight end. Uh, Hunter Henry um, has seemingly found the role for sure. And I know I've said that before, but like it seems like now they're finally like, okay, Antonio Gates is done. Like I actually dropped Antonio Gates from my dynasty team, this super deep dynasty team. I was like, finally, like they got rid of him. I was just waiting to drop him. Um, I think Hunter Henry's just such a great talent. Like regardless of matchup, uh, regardless of anything else, like he's just such an awesome talent. He's forty six hundred. I think he is at least in play. Jimmy Graham um, matchup isn't great, but he is such like a. He's basically their goal line back. Uh, he is five k. Kyle Rudolph has an atrocious matchup, so I likely won't go there, but he is like their first read in the red zone on so many different plays. Uh, Anybody in the mid-range stick out to you at tight end?
1: Yeah, Austin Safarin Jenkins as a guy who is, you know, really the only guy the Jets will be able to throw to with, you know, consistent success against Denver. He's viable. Cameron Brait, whose snap counts and routes run have dropped. It's like Dirk Cutter is pulling Cameron Brait out of the – conversation and, and James Winston is fighting to keep him in the conversation. So, I mean, I think that Bray is still viable. Hunter Henry, I mean, he had two to five targets in five straight games before he faced Cleveland, who just filters targets to the tight end. So I don't think that the targets are reliable. Uh, with that said, look, if the guy gets seven targets, this is one of the most talented tight ends in football and a great matchup. So I'm fine betting on the seven targets and turnies. I won't go there in in cash. I would rather go up to Kelsey or down to Anderson with salary so flexible this week. But in tournaments, I, I love taking a shot on Henry. Um, Witten has always smashed against the Giants. I think he's a fine floor play. Jack Doyle is going to get tons of targets again um, against the Bills defense that's mediocre against tight ends. And like you said, Jimmy Graham, yeah, he's their, he's their goal line back. Not a great matchup. Uh, there's just so many ways we could go at tight end. I mean, I think Anderson and Kelsey are the best plays, but any of these other guys, including Delaney, Ingram, Ertz could all get you 15 to 20 points as well.
2: Yeah, we kind of glossed over Evan Ingram there, but I mean, such a talented dude and one of two guys that Eli Manning is comfortable throwing to. Um, so yeah, I think Evan Ingram will go overlooked. And Zach Ertz, if he gets cleared late, which it looks like that's what's going to happen, he will be massively on uh, own matchup sucks, but uh, such a talented dude as well. Um, real quick on, on Kelsey, this matchup um, I think stands out more than most. Um, but tell the people why at 7,400 Kelsey is such a standout.
1: For me, it's it's just how easy it is to fit a guy who, uh, you know, in a position where targets are generally up and down, and this guy is reliably the main piece of the Chiefs' offense. Um, if you look at his dot, it, it looks like he's kind of used more in the short areas of the field, but that's because he's given so many short targets, you know, one-yard, two-yard targets just to get the ball in his hands. He's also used pretty heavily downfield used heavily in the red zone, a great matchup, a game that the Chiefs need in order to make the playoffs. Obviously, um, you know, you look at his game logs, there's some of these one-point games, seven-point games, sprinkled in there, but there's also a lot of 20 to 27-point games. I mean, this is just a ceiling you can't get from other tight ends. Um, You can't just lock in a high likelihood of 20 to 27 points at this position, and he's easy enough to fit that uh, I like him quite a bit this week.
2: Let's move to defense. Uh, For the first time in a while, I feel like there's not one defense that people are like zoning in on. I do think that the best play is the Chargers, given uh, how much the Redskins skewed towards the pass and the way the Chargers rush the passer uh, and make plays in the secondary. But they're 3,600. We'll see if Nathan Peterman starts. But I think if Tyrod starts, I think the Bills' defense is somewhat interesting against this Colts team. That takes the most sacks in the entire NFL. Jacoby Brissett, obviously, extremely mistake prone uh the Vikings stood out to me as just an awesome talented defense that's 2700 um and obviously I already think said that I thought the Browns were going to win the game uh if we do think the Browns are going to win the game and they're facing this guy Brett Hundley who is officially dead to me uh I think Cleveland at 2600 is in play uh any thoughts on defense do you see one that stands out to you
1: yeah the Chargers are the one that I wanted to get I've had a lot of teams where. I can make the rest of my team look significantly better with, I mean, like, you know, the difference between going Sterling Shepard or some scrub below 5K at wide receiver by dropping from the Chargers down to the Bills. I don't love that, but I think it's viable. Um, And I think that the Jets at Denver are viable as a tourney play just because of how bad Simeon looked last week. He's not that bad, but if he continues to look that bad, uh, the Jets would obviously, I mean, what the Dolphins put up like 27 points. So you could target the quarterback play in that spot. I mean, with, with that, you could also target the Packers. I just think that um, Kaiser is going to be less mistake prone when he can get the ball downfield field uh, as he can with these, these new weapons.
2: Yeah. And the Packers price has been adjusted all the way up to 3,700. Uh, if Nathan Peterman does start, do you want to play the Colts at 3,500?
1: Man, that's rough, isn't it? It's like it's crazy. I know I, I'd rather take the chargers. I mean, I, like, I'm keeping an eye on, obviously, on on Williams and Moses, the two tackles for Washington. It looks likely that they'll play. Hopefully they don't, which would make this an even better spot. But either way, I I think that the Chargers will be able to get after Kirk Cousins traveling across the country, um, still decimated on the offensive line. He has not looked the same without Chris Thompson. So I think the Chargers are just a really strong play at 3,600. Definitely the safest play on the board this week. Um, And then, you know, branch out from there.
2: We haven't even mentioned the best defense in the NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Seahawks offensive line is not good. It's hard to sack Russ because he's so, like, uh, slippery, escaping the pocket. But uh, I do think Jacksonville will be less owned than normal and are so, so, so aggressive uh, and good. So I think they're at least in play at 3,500. Anybody else on defense?
1: Um, No. I don't contribute much to the defense conversation. (laughs)
2: Yeah, just throw a dart. Hopefully you get like some <laughs> scoop and score or something. You know, that's how you win. Uh, okay. Let's we get. you want to
1: talk about kickers too for FanDuel before we move no,
2: on? No, don't try to tilt me. Um, just play Greg the Leg every week. Greg the Leg, it's like, I, I don't even want to talk about it. I'm so tilted. Um, okay. Uh, the people need picks. We're running out of time here. They, they need their stacks. Uh, we're going to do one Chalky stack and one Contrarian stack. Uh, why don't you go first with one of those?
1: I will go with a chalky stack, and it is just going uh, in tournaments complete game stack of San Francisco, Houston. I think that you can take four or five guys in this game and and average 20 points per player if you pick the right guys. So I think that stacking that game a few different ways in lower dollar tournaments is a a pretty good way to high scoring game. And I know that we're going a little over time, but it doesn't really matter. Um, So just want to talk real quickly about that and just point out, you know, when you're stacking a game, these teams that have a guy or two guys who can just score really quickly are huge. That's one reason why I like this stack more than the chiefs versus the Raiders. Cause Tyreek Hill can score quickly, but the Raiders just don't have that piece. Um, last week we saw it with Robbie Anderson and Tyree kill. I had a, a team in the top 60 in the Millie maker before Josh Reynolds decided to be awful in the late games. Um, just stacking that game because you know, when you have two guys like Anderson and Tyreek Hill who can score quickly that can create a lot of back and forth. So with guys like Goodwin, Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, there's a lot of opportunity for this game to turn into a quick back and forth game. I think it's a really strong tournament stack this week.
2: Yep. I I think that's sharp point there. Uh, I will go with a chalky stack and it is Deshaun Kaiser to Josh Gordon. Uh, I don't think it's going to get, Much chalkier than that for a stack, but Deshaun Kaiser's legs give him such a high floor. Josh Gordon's role and matchup gives him a really high floor in this spot, and you're only spending, uh, you know, around 10K uh, to get both these guys in your lineup for two spots. So I think that'll be a really popular stack, but I do think that is a pretty high floor safe one.
1: All right. Uh, My contrarian stack will be Matthew Stafford to Marvin Jones. Uh, We skipped over Jones. In the wide receiver discussion, I think that'll happen to people as they skip over Stafford, given the hand issue. I think that we're going to go into this game without news and just hope that Stafford looks like himself. I actually think that he won't be able to push the ball outside the numbers, but if I'm wrong, if he's able to, we have a guy in, in Jones who's topped 85 yards in six out of seven games in the best wide receiver matchup in the NFL. I mean, if this guy's low own and Stafford's healthy, you have a shot at a 30-point game, you know, with nobody on him. So I think that's worth taking a shot on in tournaments, even without news on Stafford this week.
2: Uh, I'm going to go way off the board here for my contrarian stack, uh, but it includes one of the best players in the NFL, so it shouldn't be uh, that contrarian. It is Andy Dalton Dalton to A.J. Green. Um, I think a lot of people are going to find themselves going all the way up to Hopkins or Keenan Allen. And kind of forget about AJ Green, who's massively underpriced. I think at seventy three hundred, um, I do expect as Jam alluded to a more pass heavy approach from the Bengals in this game against the Bears, should lead to more volume for Andy Dalton. Who, uh, given the current state of like quarterback play in the NFL, like Andy Dalton is not bad. You know, like people want to crush Andy Dalton, like he's so much better than a lot of these other guys out there. Uh, so I will go with that for my contrarian stack. Love right. it. To- That is going to do it for a week 14 edition of quote-unquote expert quote-unquote roundtable. I do have news. Uh, Next week, I will not be here. Uh, I'm going to Miami. Uh, I'm running a one-mile race against Bales and Brandon Adams. Uh, I am planning to get injected with like EPO or something beforehand, so I have a chance. If I'm not dead, I will be back for the week 16 expert roundtable
1: i have news i'm boycotting next week's show we will still (laughs) run it it will be an hour of dead air so
2: that's not true don't no. (laughs) the the show will go on you guys don't need me the the, The show will go on the show will go on for jm for jerry i am adam good luck everybody